Hey, what's up, guys? It's Rico from the Made in China podcast, Swiss Asia consulting company, and uh, Swiss Asia YouTube channel. So this episode, I had a chance to sit down with longtime podcast friend um, and my China friend, Michael Michelini. Uh, this episode, we're discussing, like, if you know Michael Michelini, if you know he's got the Global from Asia podcast, he's got the China business cast. He's been on our podcast once before and then you know just I, the last episode that I released was a bonus episode where I was on his podcast and uh, you know I've done the cross-border summit like I have the YouTube video up about the cross-border summit which is something that he organizes every year so he's a very active guy like Michelini is probably the best or the most well-known person I know in southern China like he knows everybody it's crazy I will meet people in the weirdest of circumstances and then I'll add them on WeChat or Facebook or whatever and then the first mutual friend that comes up is Michael Michelini. It's, 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 he's, a, he's a special guy, man. He's been, he's been in China for 10 plus years, of course, so that's how you develop those kind of relationships and, and you know, he's leveraged. Uh, obviously, he was, uh, he's a, he calls himself a digital marketer and, and all that stuff and he's had various, various businesses in China, right? And we talked about that in the previous episode, but something that he's done in the last two to three years, which is really cool, is that he's began to leverage his network for business, not just in the sense of like, working together but in the sense of like working on projects together but in the sense of actually like creating events and hosting events and you know trips and all that stuff and you know tapping into his network to get amazing speakers for these events and you know it's like all this stuff and it's it's very very cool and i think this episode is going to be very informative for anybody that's looking to kind of build a network in china and then leverage that in a way that you can make money from it. And he's doing it very, very effectively every year. His events get bigger. Um, every year the events are, you know, more and more robust and, and you know, awesome. I mean, next year the Cross-Border Summit is going to be in Colombia. So, so it's like, you know, it's just, he's, uh, he's truly stepping up this game. So, you know, without further ado, enjoy the episode. I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. Yo, so man, it's been uh, it's been two years since we did our, yeah. our podcast since you came on, you know, the the Made in China podcast. How do you feel? It's uh I mean, I think we're always reinventing our, ourselves. I think everybody should be, but unfortunately, I think not enough people are. But I think I feel totally different than two years ago. So, what's happening? Yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's insane because I like. I mean, at that time, uh, you know, we were we were doing the EC thing. Um, I think the time when I interviewed you, you, you were still running that um, that company that uh, I think was the tech company that. Uh, you, you worked on and Maurice was working for you as well so yeah social agent like it's been feels like an eternity ago right but I know I know it's so much happening where to begin uh, <laughs> I could <laughs> I could just talk solo on the mic about that for <laughs> hours yeah uh, yeah I think uh, it was it was cool because you know like I said it was for me getting to know you and I was asking a lot of questions that I'd wanted to to ask in the past and just it's interesting seeing how you've you know adapted to China over like how long have you been in China at this stage uh almost 11 10 and a half years <laughs> there's not that many people that have survived in China for that long it is it is intense I don't know I I don't know if I'm breaking news to you but it's actually might be it might be in the last couple months now actually I might be moving to Thailand or Southeast Asia been just considering it talking a little bit about it on my show and uh, oh this is this is news to me I, I didn't know that oh I didn't know I didn't know yeah I'm wondering if you knew I mean I put it out on the show a little couple you know I've been pushing it too hard but uh, my wife and I are making making at least considering but it seems mm-hmm. very likely that uh, there's going to be some moves. And how are the kids? Four and two. A little bit over two now, two and a half. So Miles is like in 
Miles is in school at the stage. Yeah, Miles is in school, and Maggie's got to get into school. I guess that's probably a big. That's probably the big part of the move decision. It seems like most, a lot of foreigners leave because of the school, and I thought I could stick it out longer, but uh, it's uh, of course I could stick it out longer, but it just seems like cost to value and quality doesn't make sense in our situation. Okay. Yeah, so I, I mean, obviously, we'll link up the the previous episode that we did uh, in the show notes. Um, so let's just—I wanted to recap like what we were doing then. Um, at the time, me and you were partners in Enter China. Uh, me and Luke dropped out for various reasons. I mean, it was nothing personal. It was just basically I, I wanted to focus on my my sourcing company as it was growing, um, and I felt like. It's tough to to be so heavily involved in two startups at the same time, right? Um, what like can you give me a, a a recap on like what happened after, or like you know how did everything work out? Because I know like there's a you know there's Travis and Nick and you know all these guys, and I've seen the EC uh, what's the accelerate program. Yep, yep, yeah. A lot, a lot has changed there. I of course it was uh, you know Nick. Nick and I had to to discuss uh, when you guys both had to move on, and uh, there was a lot of reorganization. As you just mentioned, new partners came in. The big news, I guess, was we did a deal with Brink, which uh, mm-hmm. which took a minority stake in the company and basically uh, started like leveraging their network and assets with the Andrachana community. And uh, actually, I had. Uh, I decided also to to lower my involvement too. So then that's where uh, Nick. There's a couple of Nicks now. Uh, yep. Nicks and Travis Nick Zeber. Yeah, Nick Zeber. Awesome. He's a really great community guy. So I think he really helps with the community development there for sure. And Travis is a great marketer. And Nick Ramil is of course an influencer and uh, and a hustler. Uh, great at great at uh, driving things forward. So so they 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 basically carry the torch mostly. Um, I'm still a very minority, uh, but I mostly exited uh, out to the deal with um, with them when there was a lot of reorganization that happened and uh, the whole thing kind of changed a lot, uh, at least in the back end. I don't think, I think it was a, probably a positive for the members. I don't know mm-hmm. what the feedback was, but but uh, yeah, that's the, I don't know if you have more. Uh, no, no, I mean, uh, I think that's not necessarily the focus of the, the episode. I just wanted to talk about it because I know I've talked about uh, I talked about it with Nick before, uh, but at at that time that was uh, that was still last year, so it was still early last year. So I don't know. I didn't know what happened since that time period. But I have spoken to a few members, uh, and by the way, EC enter China. Um, I have spoken to a few members that have gone through the Accelerate program. In fact, some of these guys might become my clients. Um, and uh, I mean, a lot of people seem to be happy with uh, the Accelerate program for sure. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like I said before, uh, in the previous one, two years ago, it was Enter China. It was you know the you were kind of coming out of global for Asia in terms of the the finance business. Um, social agent was going on, and since that time period, you've started going really, really serious uh, at doing a lot of events. Uh, I wanted to know, I wanted to ask, like, how did you transition? What made you transition uh, into sort of uh, organizing all these these uh, conferences and, and, and business in China-related events? Sure. So I think uh, there's so much that's been happening, but basically there's um, a lot that's... I love content marketing, I guess, and I love... Uh, O2O maybe, online to offline. Meeting people in person still seems like it's a big deal to, to uh, even with even virtual reality coming or augmented reality, at least nothing yet has beaten meeting in person. So of course, I think it happens to you too. A lot of people come to Canton Fair or trade shows and to Asia and they listen to the podcast of Global from Asia or they're uh, you know reading the blogs and they want to meet up. So we started, started testing with events in 2016 um, even before that, but even then, I was doing one of the first people to bring Startup China, uh, Startup Weekend to China in uh, mm-hmm. 2011, and uh, so it's just always been something I like. But uh, I'm more I like basically driving online to offline. So 
bringing all these people together and letting them meet each other. I love connecting people, whether it's through this podcast or these interviews, you know, people meet you or meet me through or other guests on the show and connect. But of course the most powerful still is in-person interaction. So, um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I mean the banking in Hong Kong was, was really being a horrible and that was big income for Gulf from Asia. But actually I don't know if there's so much happening. A lot of joint venture. I did a joint venture with a CPA firm. So I merged that business with a Unipro, a Hong Kong, uh, CPA firm licensed. Uh, actually, nowadays you need a license to do that stuff anyway. So it, back then you didn't, but now I'm uh, feeling smart because mm-hmm. um, it's doing better. You know, I think it's all about finding the right partners in the right positions. But you know, Global Asia is kind of repositioned to be more events and community and uh, cross-border e-commerce is kind of our our buzzword. And we're going to Colombia. You mentioned uh, well on another podcast we did earlier, but. We're going global from Asia. I mean, it's it, the word picked up, you know, it's all about, uh, I guess, a little bit of a mix of digital nomads or doing online business. But I don't know if you ever, have you ever read a book, Atlas Shrugged? I, I think I started it and then I didn't finish it, but I, I have to get back to it. <laughs> it, is a, it, is, it is a huge book. I finally finished it. I've read the cliff notes like twice, but it's basically the idea of, uh, actually the name, of global from Asia for me means, uh, you know, it's basically like Asia is kind of like this up and coming place, and a lot of digital nomads move here because they have a cost or manufacturing proximity. So it's about um, developing yourself from a place that's growing, and uh, you know, the banking is one part. Of course, I, I actually, it's funny. Like I rank in Google, I get tons of traffic for banking in China, Hong Kong. Singapore, US, you know, all these places. And I, I hate banks because they're, uh, they're really like making our lives more difficult. They, you know, um, but it's more about just freedom, really. It's kind of like a mix of nomad capitalist and like uh, an Amazon, an Amazon uh, blog. But I think it's about starting your own business, but also having that freedom uh, to do business where you'd like and uh, we're even starting to talk about passports and, and other things. So it's kind of a hybrid. Yeah, no, I think those, uh, uh, I mean, uh, just to finish off the banking point, like one of the things that I did relatively recently was register with Neat, uh, the, you know, the online banking software in, in Hong Kong. And I mean, it's just, it's, it's so much better. Like I don't have to physically go yeah. to a bank, like everything's done online. They have, they have amazing customer service. Yep. Um, you know, that's the future, right? So, Definitely. Uh, and then the other thing is, I think one of the smartest things you did was, and you told me about this uh, back then, when, when we talked about it last time, was you, when you registered Global from Asia, the idea was for it to be something that you could use in, in many different ways and have the name be somewhat specific, but also open enough for you to kind of go into different yep. venues. And I think that's kind of what's happening right yeah, now. Yeah, I mean, right? I just wrote a new blog post called The Flag Theory. It's uh, We can link it. Actually, Neat, I, I'm like, I dominate there. Of course, I don't rank above them, but I'm number two in Google for Neat. I have a huge comprehensive blog post about them and uh, with reviews, customer reviews. Um, but uh, so people could check that out if they like. But basically, yeah, I, I kind of am expanding to call it the... F- you know, flag theory is there's Edmund John has got flagtheory.com, but there's also, like I mentioned, nomad capitalist. And the idea is of planting flags, there's this older, uh, this older kind of like influencer back in the day was talking about planting flags. So the idea of you having other citizenships or passport residencies, having offshore banks, offshore companies, offshore, you know, doing business overseas uh, globally. So I'm kind of moving, into, not moving into, because we started with incorporations and banking, which is kind of the foundation, but now we're going into investments. We're talking more about ICO investments, which is like Bitcoin stuff. And of course, we have the Amazon helping people grow and reincorporate, restructure Amazon businesses into Hong Kong and China, things like that. But it's a, uh, it's more about uh, the business owner doing business globally outside of their home country. Awesome. So speaking of that, like a big part of what you're talking about is leveraging your network, right? So I'm curious, like why have you always been conscious about building your network or was it, was it just something that came naturally? I think it's back to my dad. Um, 
I remember we would go to church and I converted church, my religion a couple of times in my childhood, but uh, that's another story. But whatever church we were going to, or he was very friendly. Like he would uh, always make sure to greet people. And I used to be annoyed. Honestly, I remember being a little kid being annoyed because, you know, I think you're the same. You're like, I want to go to the movie or I want to go home. I don't want to wait here while you're talking to these other adults. I want to. Yeah, you wanna, you, you wanna I guess it rub, I think out. that's what rubbed off on me. And then even back in college, I, uh, I always ran for, I, I was high school president four years, every year. I was elected president of my class. Uh, I was elected and then I quit. And, uh, <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to see if I could win. That's it. <laughs> That's a, actually, the, the funny one, I don't know how random we can get here, but my freshman year, I went to a high school. I didn't know anybody. And I ran against the most popular. Well, not she was popular because a lot of people came from the same school in eighth grade to that high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also she had an older brother in that high school that was like a good soccer player that was kind of popular. And he was like a junior in high school. And she was, so I was running against her and I'm, and nobody knew me, you know? And, and everyone's like, I mean, the few people in my homeroom class were like, Mike, why are you doing this? You're going to lose. Like, why even run? And then the craziest story was I, we dead, deadlock tie, exact tie. Like, I don't know what wow. the amount of votes were, but the, the teachers said they counted the votes multiple times and it was exact. So we were co-presidents. And then the funny thing is talking about quitting. She quit. She moved out of the school. For some reason, she went to another school or something or they moved. I can't remember. And I became the president. So then nice. every year after, I always was winning. Even in the last year, one of the most popular kind of like soccer player guys decided to run for senior president against me. And uh, I still won against him. And then, you know, high school is kind of dirty sometimes. And there were some people putting like negative things on my posters and you know like negative trying to do a negative campaign against me and uh you know it was kind of actually made me mad because they were drawing stuff on my like posters that was really i can't even remember but i don't it's not i just don't remember but it made me really mad but i didn't i didn't do anything against the other people or person but uh i still won but you uh, you know even in college i won in high school presidents so so yeah i i uh I only did the first two years in college. I won freshman and sophomore. And then like you, I finally stopped, but I guess six years in a row. But then one of the, one of the people in my school would always joke with me. And she says, I was like a bobbing uh, a head. Cause what I would do, I didn't notice until she pointed out was I would walk between classes. I probably did this my whole life. Maybe that's why I think of my dad, but I would look left and look right while I was, she says I was always like looking for somebody to talk to or say hi to. So I would like mm-hmm. walk up and down the calls and I would wave to the people to say hi to them. It's not like I even have a conversation, but I would just engage or notice every, every, as many people as I could and anybody I recognized, I would say hi to them. And then mm-hmm. that stuck with me. I think it was like junior year of high school, college or something like that. And she was joking with me. And uh, I think that's maybe what it is, is I try to know people. Like I, I spend money on a CRM. Uh, I don't even use it really for business. I use it more for personal. Well, I guess business and personal is so mixed, right? <laughs> like yep. friends and business. Yep. So, but I mostly use it to, uh, I try to keep track of people's birthdays. I try to keep track of milestones. Um, I don't just wait for Facebook to send me a reminder at somebody's birthday. I, I have reminders earlier. I, you know, my own CRM, I, uh, I try to uh, keep contacts fresh. I try to use these like groups and CRMs to remind me to keep up with people. Um, and I try to not always want to think about ask, you know, a lot of people just wait until they need something and then they find that person and ask that person for something. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's annoying. Right. If, if I don't, I don't want to be the guy that just contacts somebody when I need something from them. Right. So I try to go out of my way to uh, contact people that I, uh, don't need anything from or I try there's actually a rule uh, in one of these so many books I've read I can't remember I'm sorry but they say like try to at least thank one person a day that you haven't talked to in a while for something or like appreciate something for them mm-hmm. some people say to in a meditation I actually try to actually reach out to that person um, but I think all those things help I mean some people say like and then my, my personal vlog or my blog it has no I mean, a lot of people ask me, why do you even bother doing it? It's not, not uh, really so specific, but it, it keeps people in touch. Um, 
I think it's a, it's a good way to keep relationships going maybe and something for them to talk to me about. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. That's kind of a long yeah. answer. I hope better. No, it's cool. Like, I like it. You know, especially I like the story because, um, yeah, no, I think that's interesting that uh, your dad, like there's a lot of things that we pick up from our parents that we just get instilled in us and then you just keep it going and then it translates into something else completely. Like, um, I think about it with my dad. It's like, uh, but just both of my parents, uh, both of them being entrepreneurs, it was always like when people ask me about if I felt comfortable starting a company at 22, 23, I'm like, yeah, to me it was a no-brainer. Like, I mean, from <laughs> from literally when I was born, like both of my parents were running businesses. So it was like, it just I didn't see the alternative, you know? Um, uh, so the other thing is that I find interesting about with your network is uh, I find that when I meet people that are connected, and I, I guess I'm, I'm somewhat there myself, uh, a lot of times they have a huge network of either most only foreigners or only Chinese people. But you've kind of been able to do both. Like even the events that you throw, there tends to be a good number of of locals, uh, you know, from all over all over China. Like, how have you been able to activate both sides? Have we been able to bring, you know, locals and and foreigners together? Uh, I guess there's a few different reasons. Like I mentioned earlier, I did Startup Weekend for quite a few years, even though that was five years ago when I stopped doing it. I still had been doing it for at least three years. or I can't remember. Yeah, I think it was 2011 to 2014 or so. And... uh, Basically, that was a really great way to network. I, I also did a startup. We mentioned social agent. I met a lot of entrepreneurs in China. I, you know, I've lived in a little bit in Beijing, briefly, Shanghai, briefly. I mean, talk about like a month or so, but uh, throughout South China. And uh, I've used social media in China. I mean, before WeChat was even existing, I was pretty active on Weibo. Uh, even talking in English, uh, I joke, but I met my wife on Weibo, which is a Chinese Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was always uh, trying to connect with locals. I'm kind of embarrassed to say my Chinese isn't as good as it should be, but uh, I study daily and I, I try to engage. Um, I know there's a lot of foreigners here that don't even try to network with Chinese. I think that's a little bit of a mistake or waste. Uh, and I guess the other one is I, I have a Chinese wife, so she's also a networker. Um, she's, got a, she's a pretty good biz dev uh, person, so she's also always pushing me to meet or engage with other high-level Chinese business people, and uh, I think it's also like you know the bobbing head joke. But I, you know, I try to be—I don't know if I want to say it or not, but a lot, so that I act like I simplify like the way I talk, or I simplify—I try to be approachable. So whether it's Chinese or I work with a lot of Filipinos on my team, I try to—I try my best to be on the same level or on, you know, uh, or on a simplified, uh, I don't want to look down on someone. I'm not saying I look down on Chinese. <laughs> I, try to, I try to be approachable, meaning like I almost purposely sometimes look like not experienced or not uh, aware of something maybe. I don't know how to say it, but some people give me constructive feedback that it's negative. Like I act like I don't know things like even on the, my podcast uh, with the Amazon FBA, I sometimes let other people on my team learn or make mistakes or with my kids. I don't want to like do everything myself or show everybody. I want to, to let everybody learn themselves. So, um, so that's what I'm trying to say is uh, I try to be a, I try to keep an open mind maybe. And I try to uh, listen to everybody and consider everybody's opinion. Whereas sometimes with, international cultures you get a little bit impatient with de- trying to engage in other people's life and culture. It's just easier, of course, to go to the expat bars and have expat friends and just do that. But uh, I, I try my best to, to, to balance it. And I, I'm conscious of it. Like with the events you mentioned, I we, we actually try to balance it like actively by by inviting, trying to reach out and invite a good balance of different people and, and speakers or, or content that people or, or the format of the event that's attractive to both. Yeah, I think, it's, I think in terms of um, what, what you're saying, I think you're talking about basically just trying to humble yourself so you don't, you don't intimidate people. Um, I, I don't know which podcast or which book I was, re- I was listening to, 
but uh, one of the guys, I think it was a podcast or somebody on the Tim Ferriss's podcast, and he was talking about how it might have been one of the founders of Twitter, but he, he was talking about how, like, you know, when you're way more experienced than the people that you're working with or you're the boss, sometimes people could be, they could start to perceive you in a certain way and then feel afraid to give you feedback or criticism or whatever. And he was like, what he does is he's just very self-deprecating. So he just makes fun of himself all the time. And he was saying like, it's on one hand, it is just his personality that he's a self-deprecating, like that's his humor. But on the other hand, he does it on purpose. Sometimes he does it, you know, when he doesn't, he does it like uh, consciously in meetings and stuff like that to make everybody else feel comfortable around him. And I thought that was interesting. I, I've adapted that a little bit, like with my staff is like, I'll make fun of myself um, or I'll, I'll just, you know, I'll tell them things like, you know, like uh, I'll tell them things like, uh, you know, you guys are just as, you guys can do exactly what I do. You know, I'll say things like that. Like, and I'm conscious about saying that because I want them to feel comfortable and confident when they're speaking to me. Yeah, I like it. But then the other side of that coin, though, is I've gotten constructive feedback, even back into college. Like I, I had a really smart engineer friend. I went to engineering school, and he's like, "Mike, I know you're really smart, but you, you almost don't look smart because the way you show yourself as like." He says, "I know you're very nice and easy to approach, but it's making it actually negatively affects." your brand or image to get like bigger opportunities or bigger chances sometimes because some people might not see you as uh, as intellectual enough. So he was giving me this like one-on-one, you know, not, not down talk, you know, I, which I appreciate, you know, mm-hmm. he's just telling me this directly. And I was of course hard to hear that. I'm like, so, but I still don't, I guess I never took his advice. And I still like, uh, <laughs> uh, am I doing what I'm doing? But, uh, it's hard no, but I, I think it's different. I think, um, I think that when I when people meet you one on one and they have like a one on one conversation with you, I think they can they can tell very quickly that that you're very smart and and also if people listen to your podcast, I mean it's it's clear like the subject matter that you're talking about is not is not basic stuff, right? So um, I don't think it's an issue at this stage. Um, I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe there's other people that might feel differently, but like I don't I don't see that. Um, uh, yeah, so speaking of, we were start, still talking about events. I think the main event that you've been organizing for the past three years, and I've been to every single one, is a cross-border summit. So when did you, I think you're, you already, because we started, we started working on EC together early 2016. At that stage, you you already full-on planning the, the cross-border summit. So when did yep. you actually start to conceptualize idea i can remember it down almost to the day uh it was 2015 well like i said i had always had listeners the show the podcast started in 2013 mm-hmm. um i'd always actually had met too many one-on-one coffee meetings <laughs> before you know during canton fair and trade shows and everything before that and it, i think i was almost frustrated and talking to my wife how i'm like everybody's trying to meet me and i don't have time to meet everybody and it was like maybe 2015 October like trade show season and then actually my wife's pretty a lot more wisdom than I am and uh, strategic than I am she's like why don't you just make an event so that when all these people are coming you can just put them all together and I'm like yeah yeah and then got excited and then originally called it like the Global From Asia Summit mm-hmm. I think it, GFA Summit or something but I don't know it just clicked in my head in 2015 like trying to define like international business podcast or Hong Kong business or Asia business or, you know, global business, but it cross border hadn't been really used, but it's kind of something that's talked a lot. Actually in Chinese, a lot of FBA Chinese blogs. Uh, I've even worked with some associations in China for Amazon sellers in China and e-commerce sellers was, they always call it cross border, cross border mm-hmm. e-commerce, cross border business, it's not just importing into China, but cross border anywhere. So I was like cross border summit. And everybody laughs at me, but I buy so many damn domain names. So I didn't want to make a whole site, but I redirected crossbordersummit.com to Global From Asia uh, subpage for the summit. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was probably around October or November 2015. Crazy story is I know Global Sources really well, and they had been on my show, Peter Zaff, and then he sent me an email literally like in November of 2015 or six, December 2015 about their first Global Sources Summit. 
and the dates were the exact same for April 2016. I'm like, are you serious? And uh, I actually changed the date to, to not overlap with theirs. Uh, and I spoke at theirs. Their first one was April 2016, and Cross Border Summits was April 2016. And uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just uh, a lot of different blogs or podcasts uh, add events uh, to their uh, to their. Uh, I don't know if you're considering doing that, but I know it's a it's a heck of a lot of work, but it also does feel pretty awesome to 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 bring all these people t- together around a common topic and meet everybody. So that's uh, the quick story. But yeah, it was before EC. I mean, I talked to Nick in early 2016, but the summit was already in the works. Uh, that took you know six months or more of planning, uh, and now we're already. Now we plan like a year in advance. It's crazy, but uh, yeah, I'd, I'd recommend anybody who wants to start a a larger conference to give at least six months uh, planning. Are you coming to the Kenta Fair? Or are you thinking about coming to the Kenta Fair? Well, are you? Well, if you are, I'm getting married. I know, and I'm joking. Yeah, I think that if you're coming to the Kenta Fair, or if you're coming to China around the Kenta Fair time, a big mistake that people make is they think that they could just go to the fair and pick out their suppliers and then, you know, within a couple of days and figure it out and leave. And it's not... Yes, the fair is a great way to find suppliers, and I've done a video on this explaining more in depth, but you want to be doing research before you come down to China, because when you're here, you want to already have sort of established relationships, and then you should be in the stage of like setting up things and growing that relationship with your supplier. So by the end of your trip, you actually are ready to place an order. And another thing is like, if you do everything online, you you know, there's going to be certain steps that you miss and you're not going to understand the full entirety of the process and what are the right things that you have to have in place. So we are launching a China Canton Fair pre-accelerator program. It's going to be a seven-day program from October 8th to the 15th, and that is a week before the Canton Fair. It's going to be all expenses paid apart from flights. And we've got a great team. It's myself. I'm going to have a bunch of sourcing assistants, which will be Chinese people that speak Cantonese, Mandarin, English. We've got Michael Michelini from Global From Asia, who organizes a ton of amazing events, is one of the most connected people I know in China. Then we've got Mark, who is a huge e-commerce guy who's just like underground. He doesn't like to put his name out there, but super experienced. And the idea is I want to show you what I do. I want to take you from you having chosen your product, you sourcing it, setting it up the right way, as in the right communication with suppliers, assessing them. I show you how to assess them. I'm going to be working one-on-one with everybody that comes into the program. That's why everybody's working out of my office for that week. And then also even going to your specific factories and me showing you how I assess suppliers. By the end of that program, you should have sourced set up your order or be ready to set up your order by the end of that program and the difference is a lot of other programs where they do these china trips like you just come to china and then you go to the fair and you know you just kind of walk around and maybe you find some suppliers but you don't leave with any tangible knowledge on how to source suppliers so like with my thing i want to make sure that by the end of the program you don't need me even if you choose to work with me you don't need me because you know everything that is what is the appropriate way to set up an order and what are you supposed to do in terms of contracts sourcing you know assessing uh, communication everything under the sun anyways like I said Cantor Fair Pre-Accelerator we have a description sourcewineasia.com slash made in China check it out and uh, get in contact So in terms of growth in the last few years, like I remember the first event, um, I'd say there was probably like what, like a hundred people there, uh, and it was, yep, a, it, was yep. it was a one day event. Um, yep. Lots of lots of, I mean, I was a newbie then, so like lots of great information, and then it was cool to see the the next year two days and you know probably double the amount of people, and then this year uh, it was pretty much like four days if you think about it because you had the dinner. Mm-hmm. You had the you had the dinner. You had the 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 Saturday, Sunday, no Friday, Saturday, Friday, Actually, Saturday, and then Sunday the uh, yeah. Sunday a few more events, and then Monday we had the 
the Canton Fair thing. So actually, it's like five days. Yeah, <laughs> it was so, uh, even yeah. I mean, the, the there was a half day mastermind on Thursday too. So yeah, was, so uh, yeah, it was really uh, exhausting. Next year, you're planning on doing a full week. Like, what's what's a what's a plan? <laughs> you know, seven days. So it's uh, it's really crazy. Is yeah, we're doing a full week. Uh, it's gonna be in Colombia. <laughs> so it's really crazy. But that's that's this year though, right? That's that's in oh to, well, hmm. March 2019. Oh okay, March 18th. We yeah, actually, is a little bit confusing. We were thinking about doing a business trip in this year. But then the summit there next year, and mm-hmm. it was the idea was even to like kind of almost franchise it, have it multiple places every year: cross border summit, Colombia, cross border summit in Shenzhen or China, et cetera, et cetera. But then what happened was, uh, actually, I have to credit my wife again. She's like, the summit isn't meant to be like done everywhere all year round. It's not going to be a special, especially when we have 30, 40 speakers and multiple days. It's really hard to get that many awesome people. Uh, you got to kind of like back to relationships. It's a lot of it's so a lot of time and uh, kind of relationships uh, to bring people together. So we decided to just do one, even though we've done three years in a row in Shenzhen, uh, we're going to take a break from the Shenzhen. Well, I can talk about different types. Of, we're going to still do different types of events. You know, we, you, you and I work together with the Canton Fair trip. We're going to do other types of events. But as far as an annual summit with like 30, 40 speakers, multiple days, we just want to do that once a year globally. And uh, so we decided to do five days, March 18th to 22nd in Cartagena, Colombia. Uh, Esteban is our partner there. Uh, we already got so many, it's, you know, we're recording this in the end of June. We already got speaker, amazing speakers lined up, sponsors lined up, attendees wanting to come, talking to us on our live chats, et cetera, et cetera. So um, we're still going to do events in China, but we just don't want to kind of promise people that multiple day, 30, 40 speaker kind of event uh, in China this year. So the idea is Esteban, our partner in Colombia, got so excited because he thought it was just going to be like a franchise, like a, you know, like a, like a, we would just promote it. But uh, when I told him we were just going to put everything on it into the next year there, um, he got so excited, but he gave feedback. He says, one year you can do it on the East side of the world. And the next, this is your first one in the Western hemisphere. So the idea is every other cross-border summit, one year in like Western side, like, you know, East North West. America, South America, somewhere. Yeah. So, and then we have a voting page for 2020, dude. I have a poll for 2020. It's only going to be somewhere in Asia or in, at least in the East. Mm-hmm. So we have a lot of people in the Philippines. Of course, I have my team there, but we also have people that came up from the Philippines to the summit last year that want to do it. So we're already planning 2020s. It's kind of like Olympics or something. Like, what country are we going to do it in? But people actually, it's, it's got me all excited. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we're going to have like the popular vote so people could vote. We've gotten only, I didn't really promote it, but we'd link it up on the menu at the site. But the idea, we're not just going to let it be vote. Of course, vote will be one part of the criteria, but, you know, like, um, I think it's pretty awesome. It's, it keeps my, my life, in, our lives will be interesting and like, our, you know, like, community and our friends are all like excited. Like I had a call with uh, Andy Church from Insight. He's really excited uh, about Columbia. He thinks it's a really great idea to, to, to do that. And uh, he'll be there and we're going to, we're going to just do it up big, man. It's going to be, I don't know. It's going to be huge. You know, and plus a lot of people in the U S can't make it out to China or over here every, every, uh, having eight or ever. So it's, of course we could do it in the States, but I think Columbia is pretty awesome. I, I've been there just once for a couple of days to meet them, but, uh, Anyway, that's the answer of the next one. It's going to be five days. So the conf- what we're doing is two days of summit, the speaker traditional. I don't think more than two days. Two days is enough, at least, I think, for all the speakers and that. But we're going to add like the mastermind before, like maybe a, at least a half day, maybe a full day mastermind. And we have three days business trip after in Colombia. So the idea is the site has different ticket options. The, the conference itself will be two days, 18th and 19th. Mm-hmm. But there will also be the business trip where we're, <laughs> Esteban is working on it. With, we're going to actually have to take a plane together, like a small plane to different cities in like Colombia, maybe even Ecuador, to see like uh, 
investment opportunities like uh, coffee farms, gold mines, like all these uh, warehouse facilities. Like, and there's uh, a, and there's, a, there's like a decent amount of of there's not a decent there's a, there's a lot of manufacturing as well in Colombia, right? So, yeah, yeah, there's so much happening. There's tons of digital nomads like out there that are you know. Um, so it's uh, it's really going uh, it to be exciting. Um, but yeah, five five day total, but two day conference. Back back to answer your question, that was a long answer. Yeah, I mean, uh, you kind of covered like three or four of my additional questions <laughs> from that, but that's fine. Um, so that sounds that sounds really cool, man. Like uh, I, I know you'd mentioned the Columbia thing before. I thought that was going to be like a smaller thing this year, but now you're just going to do it like the whole thing next well, year. I'll definitely try to. Let's uh, try to make it yeah. down myself. Like I, I, I mean, I, I think I've I don't know if I've spoken to you about this, but um, I've always said that um, if I leave China, like Colombia would be the place I'd probably go to live. Wow. And um, and I have like four or five friends that are all living there right now so yeah it's uh it i was just i can't say too much because i was only there for a few days uh and this earlier this year but they were trying to convince me to retire there or to invest in proper of course you know property there or something but uh you know it's uh it's definitely i mean i guess i was only in one city for three days but it's beautiful it's uh, and it's reasonable price and it's not too far from the states and uh I think Colombia is time zones as well. Yeah, the Colombia is actually the only country in South. I feel like I guess I am promoting it. Well, I guess by even talking about it is, but uh, it's the only country that has in South America that has border um, ports on both Pacific Ocean and Atlantic Ocean. Mm-hmm. So I learned that you could send something. You know, of course, there's the Panama Canal, and then I heard this whole conspiracy theory while I was in Colombia, which is pretty wild. They were like kind of like talking about America getting in, interfering because I think Panama used to be part of Colombia uh, and the U.S. government or whatever, you know, this, the, the whole FBI, whatever, they wanted to have a canal. So they did a deal and they convinced these people, which is now Panama, to leave Colombia and then they would help them bake the Panama Canal. And these Colombian guys I was talking to in a restaurant in Colombia, like they're they're like still talking about that. They're like Americans interfered and got them to leave us, and then they paid for them to get the Panama Canal to get the shipments through, blah, 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 like this, something like that. So it's like pretty wild, but uh, some conspiracy. Yeah, like uh, yeah, conspiracy. It's hilarious, but uh, oh man, yeah, life is life is really crazy, and uh, I don't know how you feel, but I talked to one of my old hometown friends the other day and he's like I'm probably getting flagged on the phone call because we're talking I'm in China I'm talking about Colombia I'm talking about Thailand I'm talking about trading then mm-hmm. I'm like you know he's just like in the whole I, I, it's just not like normal right like I guess yeah, it's normal to us well it's normal to us yeah but it's like I mean I, the more I think about it the more it, to me it just makes sense it's like if you're gonna do business you want to be doing business on like a global scale because then you're one, you're always going to be involved in the newest places and, and places that are coming up. And then two, you're also going to be, it's kind of like protection. Like if you're, if you're only relying on one country um, for, for your, your business, I feel like there's, you're always, you're vulnerable, you know, you're vulnerable to whatever yeah. fluctuations happen in that specific place. Totally. Yep. Um, so, okay. Uh, that's, that's really cool stuff, man. So challenges, how what challenges do you anticipate with you know going global like this um I, and then two, it's actually two questions i think the first one let's i want to close off the previous stuff so the first one would be uh what are you not doing now that you did before in the cross border summit like in the first year for second year things that you've realized you know you either wanted to outsource or um you just weren't necessary and then the second thing was what do you anticipate in terms of challenges with going global with the events? Uh, sure. So first question is what I'm not doing now that I did then. Yeah. I mean, I guess I had, I think anybody, whether it's launching a product on, launching a product in you know, Amazon or a Kickstarter or or uh, starting an event, you got to really hustle and grind your first one. Like the first one, I was like personally inviting like every single person I knew. Like, you know, I'm like, I think the same strategies when you're doing a Kickstarter, you know, I think we we're talking about Luke earlier, 
you know, I think he's got a good strategy. You know, it's just like hitting up everybody on your messenger list, hitting up everybody in your WeChat, hitting up everybody, you know, like, you know, that was definitely something I had to do the first time for sure. Um, and then each year it's kind of gotten more and more of a brand or more and more of a awareness or plus, you know, the more time, you know, we're talking about the fourth one in Columbia, it's, it's like eight, nine months away. So yeah. it's like, you know, um, so I guess for sure it's less personal invites and hustling and, you know, it's more like people are finding out about it, wanting it, you know, it's branding, it's marketing more than sales and hustle. Mm-hmm. Um, also it's like, you know, of course the first one, even though I, I've always had a team for many years, but of course I was still a lot involved with the operation, the local, what I'm really trying to do now, like with Esteban, of course, like I've only been to Columbia like twice, you know, like, well, not once, I mean, for two days, three days, you know, so there's no way I could, set up in Spanish too. So, you know, while mm-hmm. I'm in China, but even here I can get by or, but uh, now I really have to rely more on partners or locals uh, to help with the events. Uh, really trying to make my strength, like is not on the operations. My strengths on the online and the marketing and the branding and the, the awareness and uh, the speakers and the, you know, and making sure the format of the event, like it's not, I feel like an event's in a form of content. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's offline content, but I really enjoy the schedule. I've been thinking about, I'm listening to the feedback about the formats, the roundtables, the masterminds, the, the the speakers, the length of the show, the length of the time, the amount of break time, the start time, the end time. I'm like always trying to optimize the schedule in that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but uh, that's the first question. And the uh, second question, I'm blanking on it. Second question uh-huh. is um, challenges. Challenges, yeah. What challenges do you anticipate? But I think you kind of answered that already. Yeah, I guess like of course some the the language and relying on partners. The language, but it's it's also gonna it's, it's a little bit scary. You know, of course I'm putting you know my I have to ensure that the quality of this event will be as good. And of course, it's really scary if it's not. Uh, you know, it doesn't work out like I think, but, you know, I, I think I feel pretty confident uh, with our, our local partner there. And he's been to the summit this past April and he loved it and he likes, he wants, he he really saw the value in it. So I think he understands the vision. Um, of course, I don't think I keep flying to Columbia to check the venue, but uh, I don't know. I'm wondering, do I have to go there before how much earlier I have to go there or do I have to go there before? Um, and then other countries, you know, because you want to keep the quality, right? You know, like I said, I did start a weekend and they were always so paranoid about their brand and they'd have to send one of their uh, facilitators there to make sure it's done the way that they want it to be done. Um, well, of course I'll be going to the Columbia one, but you know, of course there's this nerve, you know, you get nervous, you know, you, you just make sure that the quality continues to, to, grow but i think you know you've been to all three i think it gets better every year but of course now it's going to be a whole new whole new world but mm-hmm. uh, but i think this keeps interesting i guess just uh closing off with the cross-border summit this event is it going to still have is it still going to be a china manufacturing focus or is it going to be sort of like 50 percent china 50 percent you know uh, south america colombia opportunities like I guess in terms of speakers, are you gonna are you gonna sort of what's the balance gonna be there? Oh, I mean, as the, the the reason they want us to partner with us is they want more China or Asia relations in Colombia. Ah, okay. So, but you know, I always almost every year I I try to even split up different breakout rooms in the afternoons. You noticed um, there was always in the last couple of years there was the import side. Because actually, even within China, there's two different tracks. There's people yeah. that want to import and sell into China, and then there's yeah. people that do like the Amazon to export the manufacturing from China. Yeah. So it actually is two different. It is two different audiences, and we have both of those. So the that's why I like the whole, the you know the whole niche or keyword cross border because yeah, a lot of people think cross border. They just think like Hong Kong, Shenzhen, or they think uh, into you know cross border into China. But it actually, if you look it up, there's other cross border summit. Uh, I think they stopped doing it, but there was one that was doing it from EU to UK in Europe. Mm-hmm. And they're mm-hmm. talking about cross-border between Europe and the United Kingdom. Mm-hmm. So cross-border really just means, the definition of cross-border doesn't mean China and overseas. It means 
selling and buying between two different countries. The payment happens in one country and the shipment goes for another country. Like the transaction happens between two countries. That's the definition of cross-border at the very basic level. But of course, we're going to have tracks about there's going to be tons of Colombians that are interested in China. I mean, South America, I don't know about you, it's your clients or your network, but I've been noticing a lot more South Americans uh, doing business with China. There's a, Of course, everybody wants to do business with China, so there's a huge interest there. Um, so I, it would definitely still be about China and Asia. Um, so I think there'll still be the two tracks. You know, there's still, we're going to get Amazon speakers just like normal that from US or, or Asia, you know, Europe. Uh, or Asia to come there to talk about inter, you know inter, international uh, and then uh, into China. It will be the two tracks. Nice, nice. That's that. Yeah, I I, I have noticed that. Um, I mean, just with my friends being based in Colombia, and um, I have a, a decent amount of friends in China who are from Colombia as well. I have noticed that that side is growing. And then, I mean, that's how I, I even started to know about the manufacturing in Colombia and you know the the, the various opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's the right move, man. Like I think that Colombia is is you know developing and and. I think in terms of all the countries, I, I probably would have chosen Colombia as well for multiple reasons. So I think it's the right move. Cool. Well, so, we also have, I mean, I'm very fortunate to have, you know, Esteban, shout out. He's, yeah. uh, he's a really great guy and he's a fan of the fan of what we're doing and, uh, and supporting this. So without him, I don't think, I, I mean, of course it's possible. Esteban, what's, Est- what's Esteban's uh, company name? Uh, Infinity Group Asia. Infinity he he was a he was a attend he was a speaker at the last summit. But yeah, the, I do remember. I just wanted to get it for the for the people listening. Um, oh sure, sure. All right, so he then, was on the podcast too. If you want, to nice. Yeah, send send me a link. I'll link it up in the show notes. Um, so, any other GFA events you want to highlight? So you know, I mentioned we're not doing it in China, and a lot of people got shocked and almost a little bit almost upset that people said like these events. We did something called Cross Border Matchmaker last April. I mean, not April, last October, um, and we're going to do the, that in this October. Um, of course, what is Cross Border Matchmaker? <laughs> I'll keep it short, but it's going to be more about roundtables and one-on-one connecting more with suppliers and buyers or, or sellers, and uh, it'll be in Shenzhen. Uh, one day event. So October twelfth is a date as of recording now. Where most likely going to be it'll be a Friday full day event um, in Shenzhen. It's going to be a more reasonable price too. It's going to be a little bit more simplified. It's be more about um, speed dating for for people and uh, and roundtables with just one or two speakers. But it, it's um, people really like the roundtables and, and other kind of these connecting parts. Mm-hmm. So I just don't want to drain the speaker network and make people well make you know keep asking people to speak and uh, and get all these speaking things. So it's gonna be more like a user user connection content event. Nice. And obviously, we did a little Canton Fair trip, which was which was cool. Yep, yep. And I feel like that was a test run for what we're trying to do. Yeah. We're- we we actually should talk about that after maybe recording or maybe link it up, but I think we have a lot of interest there. And uh, there's an Iwu trip I I've got to talk to you about in mm-hmm. uh, in September. Just ten people. Um, actually, want to get you involved on that. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, Huachan Bay, we've been doing tours. So there's kind of like these smaller events we're trying to build on demand with just 10, 10 people, fifteen people. Not not like an event, but more like a trip. Yeah, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm game. Uh, I definitely want to, especially knowing now that you're sort of focusing on on going to Colombia with, uh, with, with CBS. I feel like that opens up a little bit more with the uh, China trip that we we kind of want to do as well. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Closing questions. Any what are your lessons learned in the last two years in China? Uh, last two years, you know, I. I become a father and, uh, you know, I think just not taking anything for granted, it's just a really, it's, it's a new level of challenges. I mean, that's a whole podcast in itself of raising kids um, with cross cultures. I really, I don't know. I still, still feel like I'm right, but I'm not speaking Chinese to my kids, even though my Chinese is maybe, uh, I can understand what they're saying and I can maybe answer them. I, 
I think that's the biggest one is I'm still trying to be a foreigner in my house. <laughs> that's, that's, I don't know if that's right or wrong, but. Well, if somebody has to, they got to be hearing English on a regular basis from somewhere, right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, any advice for someone trying to sort of build and, or not build, I would say build, I've spoken about many times, but leveraging their network. Like how do they go about activating the network in the, in the way that you've done? I think my biggest, hopefully, point people got from mine was not just using it for their own benefit all the time, but it's something you just got to continually develop. Like we, you know, you and I are both big fans of SOPs and processes and outsourcing, but I think the one thing you'll never be able to outsource is your personal relationship development. Mm-hmm. So even if I have a completely automated business, I still can't automate that. So I'll always be making sure I'm adding value first to whether it's on these podcasts. I hope I add value. I feel like I'm even a little bit guilty. I was kind of talking a lot about what, what I do, but uh, you know, always trying to make sure you're helping add value to others, whether it's on a, a content or whether it's in a you know personal relationship or uh, or anything, but uh, but it's the other side of it. I've learned is you do have to ask. You know, mm-hmm. I've I've gotten better at asking. I used to not ask enough and just give, but you do have to ask. Maybe it's the Gary V, the jab, 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 right hook strategy. Yeah. But um, yeah. you just kind of try to balance. You know, you gotta just try to balance, and uh, you don't have to keep score, but. Uh, Try to make sure you're adding value, not just taking. Well, I yeah, I think it's it's just being conscious about the fact that if you're gonna like like you're saying, you don't want to become that guy who just asks for things all the time. So just being conscious about you know, have I been providing? You know, have I helped out this person lately? Have I kept in touch with this person? Even if it's as simple as saying happy birthday, you know, like it's just the small things that you do. Uh, where you can then ask them to help you with something. And then also when they ask you to help with something, returning the favor, right? So um, yep. new books or podcasts you want people to check out? Um, I don't think there's anything new on the podcast side, but books, I mean, I just am always reading a book. Maybe one that's relevant for today's show is uh, The Secrets of Power Negotiation, I think it is. Secrets of power negotiation. I'm just writing it down. Yeah, it's. I found it on. Um, it's. It was recommended to me. Um, Roger Dawson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is it. And I have been digging through this. Uh, I'm probably gonna read it again. I'm still not finished with it, but it's. Um, if if you, you know, in this show we did talk about relationships. This is more more past the relationship, or this could be somebody you don't know, but it's about doing business or making deals with people. Mm-hmm. And it seems like it's a really good framework with actionable advice. Uh, so that's one. And uh, I don't know if you want to give. I have a free free one. I've I was always meaning to make it uh, paid, but I'm too lazy to edit it. So I think you sent it to you, Rico. But it's regardingwork.com/book. It's just a PDF version right now, but uh, regarding it's something I wrote. Yeah, yeah, another domain, like a joke, but. Uh, Maybe I'll never charge for it. It's just kind of like different ways that I work, um, you know, productivity and uh, habits and stuff like that from a lot of different books I've read. Awesome. And uh, final question is, is there anything that we didn't talk about that you wanted to touch on? Um, I think it's the main point is maybe just you're always developing, you're always growing. Like, you know, it's been a couple of years since we've been, I've been back on the show and so much has changed, and like I think I, I hope I didn't sound disrespectful, but I think there's too many people in the world that aren't reinventing themselves, mm-hmm. and they think they're too old or they're not. You know, it's too late to learn a language or too late to move a different country or et cetera, et cetera. I think I hope you know if you you know you're doing great stuff with your podcast and this content. I hope these get people to take some action and uh, and uh, not care what people think. You know, like I. I don't, you know, of course, I don't like it if people think I'm not as intelligent because I'm humble or approachable. But, you know, um, that's who I am, and uh, I think you, as a listener, are who you are, and just just take action. And uh, you know, I think there's that Steve Jobs quote about um, banging against the walls of life <laughs> and uh, not worrying about being bound by the society's way you're supposed to live your life. Yeah, I agree. I mean, uh, uh, you know, there's a reason why there's such a small percentage of people that like 
that actually you know run businesses or run even successful companies or make money from businesses just because a lot of people don't take action. Um, and, and hopefully, that was the whole thing when I started this podcast was like me saying, you know, I'm not that far ahead of you. At the time, I think I was you know, like I literally just started the sourcing company, but I was like, I'm maybe a few steps ahead of you. So it's good to listen to somebody who's a little bit ahead of you. And then you can see sort of the process and how, you know, anybody can do it. Uh, you just have to take action. Like you talked about Steve Jobs. I think, um, I think Gary V has the... Was it Gary Vee or Tim Tim Ferriss talks about um, you know business is twenty percent planning and then eighty percent execution. It's true. It's true. Well, I hope I, I think we're we're both making that happen for people. So so thanks, Rico, and uh, and hopefully listeners are not wasting this information and and at least picking one thing and doing it. Yeah. Right. All right, Michelini, thanks for coming back on the podcast. You know, not that many people are have been able to be on the podcast more than once, you know. You're part of a special group of people. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for right, so and if people want to reach out to you, where should they okay. go? I guess uh, globalformasia.com is the easiest, although it's becoming more and more like a business site. Uh, and then there's mikesblog.com, which is a video where I make fun of myself a lot too much, people say. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And if you want to reach out to us, that's uh, podcast at sourcefinasia.com. Um, and then obviously the website, sourcefinasia.com slash made in China. And the Sourcefinasia YouTube channel, that's one word if you search Sourcefinasia on YouTube. Cheers. Awesome.